life we are today again another day that we are alive in Christ welcome to Dominion Sonship Life praise be to God hallelujah I have a title that he just gave to me I've been pretty much all week um, for the Lord for just a, a, a lead I had a sense of a shift we have been talking on the love of God for a season. It's not like we are leaving that topic because that is really everything in our walk as a believer is, is faith through love. And so we cannot believe God without knowing his love. We cannot walk out the call of God on our lives without believing the love of God. We cannot trust the word of God without believing the love of God. And so the love of God is, is really the core of all that um, we attain to understand that the growth that we do in our faith walk is really a maturing into the love of God and that there's no greater growth that we can attain in Christ but to know the depth the height the width of the and the breadth of the love of God and so this is every single message is a press towards a recognition and unveiling of our understanding to the love of God and today's message is called the living Christ alone is life. The living Christ alone is life. To even call him the living Christ is a revelation. And that I believe it's a revelation that's ever growing revelation that when we get born again, when we have that initial encounter with God, we recognize we have come into a moment of life. We recognize that we have come into something that we had no understanding of before. And at the moment of the encounter with God, whether it was the flutter of my heart during a song of worship, something that normally I go to church and I really wouldn't really be aware of a supernatural activity until suddenly I'm being quickened within that there's something more than just my natural man. For me personally, it was a vision at night of the Lord Jesus Christ hanging on the tree and I knew he died for me and that he is the son of God. And, and thereafter my life, became brand new. I became transformed. I became a Christian. I became a believer with really being an antagonist right prior to that night vision. And now suddenly I believed in the most radical way. And um, that is the encounter with the living Christ. And for everyone, it's a little bit different. And so for some, it's a lot more magnificent. With other, it's more on the subtle side. But I believe anytime we come into the very experience of the divine, where our senses become aware of his presence, so to say. And again, he ever lives within me. So I'm not trying to find a presence that's outside of him as a born again child of God. He lives in me. But there are just some moments of a heightened awareness that we tend to term encounter, that we recognize he is the living Christ. And so let's go to the book of John, John chapter six, and we'll, we'll traverse, we'll start from here. And I wanted to really touch upon something that I had done a recording on and it was a podcast I did. I believe it was the one called Eternal Life a Podcast 5. I did not last week, the week prior on Eternal Life. And, and that is what 
when I did that recording, it really pricked me. And the, the question I posed in that recording is, what was it that the disciples encountered that propelled them into a motion to become a witness for God? What is it that, that they encountered when they met Jesus to move them to, to recognize that the one they just met is worthy of their testimony? And worthy of the testimony, meaning that potentially I might be ashamed of this testimony because I'm beginning to talk about someone I really don't fully know. I'm beginning to talk about someone that is supernatural. I'm beginning to talk about the living Christ. That I, all of me witnesses and bears witness that he is alive. And yet, how do I communicate this divine truth that suddenly I've been awakened to, to another? And that is a work of the Holy Spirit. That when we encounter the living Christ, the Holy Spirit at that moment is given entry into our hearts to move us into motion. To move us into a motion that we start forsaking all. That we start forsaking all. And in that podcast, I read about the Samaritan woman from John chapter 4 at the well and that at the, at the noonday, because she had a, a, a reputation. She had a reputation of being married to a few men, and the one she was living with at that moment was not her husband. And yet Jesus did not condemn her on that basis. He didn't call her to himself to tell her, I know all you little dirty secrets. No, he offered her life because he knew what she was really after. So actually, let's go to John 4 before John 6. John 4, 10, Jesus answered and said to her, so here she is, the Samaritan woman, going to, to fetch well in the noon hour, which is not the common time to draw well in the heat of the day. But uh, because many scholars say, because she has a reputation with the women in the village, she didn't want to be in the midst of the others. And so she went by herself. She wanted her privacy, so to say. She was done with hearing of the stories and the gossips about her. So she goes to this well, an ancient well, Jacob's well. Jacob built that well. And, and here she encounters the man and, and Jesus is Jesus. And he says to her, give me a drink. And, and that astounds her because she's a Samaritan. She's not whom the Jews would call a clean woman. She says, why would I give you water? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. She responds. And, and Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. He would have given you living water. He would have given you living water. In verse 13, he defines it. He says, whoever drinks of this water, this natural well, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him, that he just referred to living water. Whoever drinks of this living water that I give will never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The message is, the living Christ alone is life. The living Christ alone is life. And if we do not know the living Christ, we don't know life. We can walk through the motions of the day and we can do the routines 
and do the responsible acts that natural life requires. And we can go through, you know, um, motions of living, so to say, but without encountering the Christ man, we would not know life. Because this life that he is and that he offers to us is living life. It is eternal life. It is a drink in the noon hour. It's a refreshing drink right when I'm weary. It is a drink of life from the fountains of life. And when I drink of this life that he is, not only does it quench my thirst, but it allows this life to pour out of me to be a drink to another. To override my natural senses and sensations of who I am and to, to propel me into motion to be a disciple for him now because he ever so loved me. That he became a drink to me. That he offered up his life as a drink offering. He offered up his life. He broke his body, which is the living bread, so I could live. And, and with the recognition of all that I said, which is revelatory based, it is a quickening of my heart to recognize truth. And through from this truth that is quickened by the Holy Ghost, it sets me on the course of a walk that is for him now. That my life, that which counts in my life, is where he is walking it out with me. That that which is of value in my life now is the value that he has placed on my life. And so this is what she encountered. She encountered the living life. She encountered the eternal drink. She encountered the hope of all ages. It's amazing because he didn't disqualify her on the basis of her history. He didn't give her her history first and say, you are so wretched, you really need a drink. He offered her the drink, which that's what love does. And from this drink then, everything becomes right. When we partake of this drink of who he is, and we drink of this life, and we eat of the bread of life that he, in John 6, he calls himself the bread of life, that the one that eats of, the, of, his, of, his, of this bread, of his flesh, that was broken for us, he will live. Then he told her of her past, but it was really to set her free from her past, to recognize that though he knew everything about her, he offered her a drink. Though she might have in her own self disqualified herself, he offered her a drink. And what did she do? She left everything behind and she ran to her village and told all the men, the one that she just met. Here in uh, verse 28, the woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the living Christ? Could this be the one that was foretold? Could this be the Savior of the world? Could this be God in flesh? Could this be the one that has just set me free? Is he my freedom setter? Is he the one? Come and meet him so you too can be set free. And they did. They went out of the city and came to him. They came to him. And so, so here we, now we can go to John 6 where to start with as well. 
is the disciples came into a bit of a hard moment of his teaching, and some of his teachings are hard. Where we are to forsake, or where we are to lay down our lives, where we are to pick up our cross daily, where we are to reckon our old men dead and to recognize ourselves now after this brand new creation of life. Not my way, but his way. And in the midst of our hard teaching, many walked away from him. Verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. How sad. 26-7, then Jesus said, Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You are my living drink. Where do we go? Verse 69, also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this was my testimony, is when I saw him on the cross, I knew he was the Christ. I knew he was the living Christ. I knew, I knew that he offered a drink that no one else could offer to me. And I knew that he now held the words of life for me. And I remember waking up from that moment, from that night vision and waking up my, my roommate and saying, he is God. He is God. He is God. He is God. And one, when morning came, it was just, I picked up the Bible. I haven't dropped it. Because he holds the words of life for me. And my life has been transformed. He says, where do we go? Where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. This is John writing that, uh, quoting Peter. But uh, in First John, we see the other instance where he, that they recognize his disciples that he is the word of life. In 1 John 1, that which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The disciples knew that he was the word of life. They knew that he held life for them and that he was life himself. Verse 2. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And this is what life is. Life is a fellowship with the Father. Life is a fellowship with the Father. Life is to have his very life. And now that I have his life, I can hang out where he hangs out. I can walk where he walks because I've been qualified. I bear the very life of God. It's like when you're a parent and you have children, they live with you. They bear your identity. They're yours now. 
And so we are now children of God and we have this divine life. We have the very expression of who God is. This God is life. And this divine life was made manifest to us and walked in the midst of those disciples. The word himself became flesh and that they could touch him. They could handle him. The reality of who he is today. We can touch him and we can handle him by handling this word with the Holy Spirit within us. He's enabling us to handle this word. Peter writes. So we, we read uh, from the book of John 6, the words of Peter. Where can we go? You hold the, the words of life. And we recognize you're the living Christ, the son of God. In first, second, second Peter chapter one, Peter writes in verse 16, second Peter 1, 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables. When Jesus said to, to them, come follow me, they knew they weren't following fables. They knew they, knew they were not following uh, uh, potentially he might be the one. They knew they weren't following cunningly devised fables. Deception. They knew they were following the word of truth. What a persuasion. To know. But that's what happens. When we come in that living encounter of the living Christ, we know <laughs> beyond the shadow of a doubt. In that moment of the encounter, when my heart first believed, when my outer man started being convinced that he is the one, that he is life, that he is my drink in my noon hour, that he is my answer, that he is the, the one that has that ever lives to make intercession for me, when I recognize at that moment, that is what keeps me to the very end. That is how I overcome all things because I know on whom I have believed, like Paul wrote. Peter writes, we didn't follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we are what? Eyewitnesses of his majesty. We're eyewitnesses of his divinity. We are eyewitnesses of the living Christ. Oh my, Kilabaha. Living witness of the living God who is full of truth and grace. And there's no cunningness in him. There's no fables in him. And then he goes to write about the prophetic, the word confirmed in verse 19. And you do well to heed this word. As a light that shines in a dark place, this is the, the work of the word of God through the Holy Ghost. It illuminates. It goes in as a light and shines into every dark place within until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart until faith is birthed and you believe and say, yes, yes, aha, aha, I know now, Lord. I'm to forsake that now I'm to follow you. Knowing first that no prophecy of scripture, that this word of God is not of private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so was Jesus to move by the Holy Spirit because he only spoke what he heard the Father speak. Go 
Where can we go? You hold the words of life, Peter says to him. If we go, I looked at post-transformation and I looked also, that was on the road to Damascus. If we go to Acts chapter 9, God made a neat little connection, the road of Damascus with the road of Emmaus and that it's always on the road of our life. It's on the journey of our life that we encounter the living God. As we go about and journey this life, we encounter the living God and all of us have an opportunity. I believe everyone, every one of us will have an opportunity to encounter the living Christ and to recognize that he bears life for me. That he now when I recognize that he's the living Christ, I can partake by saying, yes, I believe and I partake. And when I partake, I become born again. And as I'm born again, now I become flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. And I become the very image and reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That out of me now flow those same living waters that flow out of him to another. Acts 9, 3, I think. Yeah. Nine three here is Paul, who was called Saul. Nine one, Book of Acts, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, who of Christ's way, were the men or women that he would put them, he would bring them bound to Jerusalem, and as he journeyed. He came near Damascus. I looked at a word near Damascus, and that is really neat. It's to come in the proximity. It's to come into proximity, to, to near, to come before. And Damascus actually looked, what I think it was Wikipedia, the, the meaning of Damascus is well-watered land. So as he, as he was approaching this well-watered land, he had an experience like a Samaritan woman. Because he too was thirsty. He too was going to fetch water. He thought he was doing the right thing. He, he talked about being full of zeal for his tradition. Full of zeal for, for, for that which he was taught. And so as he was coming near to Damascus, that's when he had an experience. Suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and heard the voice saying, So, so, why are you persecuting me? And then Paul, so said, Who are you, Lord? Recognizing it is the Lord, but recognizing that moment, I don't know you, God. I don't know you, God. I don't know you, God. How did the Lord identify himself? I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. It's hard to go against the grain of who God is. It's hard. And so that was his transformation. In chapter 22, Paul writes about that transformation as well. That's also telling 22, um, verse 3. I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous toward God as you all are today. Because they wanted to take him and kill him. And they wanted to put him away because they saw him as a betrayer 
of those teachings. They saw him as unclean in his association with the Gentiles whom he was called to witness to. But here, my meditation was the power of the encounter with the living Christ to enable Saul to forsake that which he had such zeal for. That when we come into the reality of the living Christ, we truly recognize life. And when we see life, then then it means everything outside of him and who he is is death and we don't want to do anything with it anymore. Just the starkness of, of the, the, the drastic contrast when I see the living Christ when I, versus when I survey deadness. It becomes a motivator to cling unto life because life is good for me. So verse 4, I persecuted this way, the Christian way, to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bear me witness in all the council of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there in Jerusalem. Look, how did it happen? As I journeyed, now it happened, as I journeyed, I came near Damascus at about noon. Suddenly, a great light from heaven shone around me. Again, the noon hour, same as the one with the height of the day. We journey on a mission. The many times we're so fully convinced it's the right mission. I was on the right mission persecuting. I remember the little group of believers that, that had been so kind to me. I was on a mission to tell them how wrong they are, <laughs> how enlightened I was. And then suddenly a great light from heaven shone around about Paul as it did me too. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, so, so, why are you persecuting me? And so I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. And in the moment of the encounter, we recognize, as Paul did and so did the Samaritan woman, that now my life has become a life of purpose. Suddenly, when you encounter life, you encounter purpose. Everything that was straggly and all over the place and pretty chaotic, when I came into into knowing him, when I came into recognizing who he is, it suddenly gave me a, a forward motion. It gave me a one way. It gave me a way of a life. And so here, Paul, Paul is, is, is taken to Damascus to a brother, uh, Ananias' house, who is a believer in the Lord, who, who prays for him to receive his sight because he was blinded. Paul was blinded because of the glory light that shone about him on that road to Damascus. So verse 13, uh, actually let's do uh, 12. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I looked up at him, and then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will. I read this and I, I read it like God is speaking to me. That we see all of us are chosen to know his will. All of us are chosen to know his will for our lives. 
All of us, this, the will of God is not hid from us. When we come into the encounter of the living Christ and we encounter life, at that moment we encounter the purpose of our life. To know His will and to see the just one, to see Him, to see the just one, to ever live life before Him, to be ever mindful that I see the just one alone. And so when I come into the living Christ and I see life, I'm seeing the just one. Oh, that makes all things just for me. In the last two messages we talked was justification, that in him I have been made just. Because of what he did for me, the living Christ, I am now just before him. So I can see the just one. Because you see, if I know I'm unjust and I come to a just one, there's only conviction and condemnation and conviction in my heart. But when I recognize that that which he has done for me to clean me and to wash me through his blood and through his broken body as I saw him on the cross that night, that now I recognize I've received justice from him, that he died for me. So now I can see the just one with no condemnation because I won't be put away. But I will be received by the just one and to hear the voice of his mouth. Now that's beautiful to me, to hear the voice of his mouth, to hear the voice of God, to hear the voice of God. What does the voice of God say? You're mine. I love you. You're my beloved. And then 15, Adonai says to him, for you will be a witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. This was the will of God for Paul. But all of us are called to bear this witness. It was amazing. The woman, the Samaritan woman, the first instinct once she encountered the living Christ is to go tell another. <laughs> you can't hold on to this divine reality. I've been set free. You can be set free too. You can be set free too. Let's go to um, Luke 24. The living Christ alone is life. One of the, as I was before the Lord and waiting on a title for this message, one of the other th thoughts that I had is eternity gives us sight. Eternity gives us understanding. And here we see it perfectly in Luke 24. It's after Jesus' death and resurrection and the news of a resurrection of his body is not in the grave, in the tomb. The body is not there. And, and Mary had an encounter with the living Christ. Mary had an encounter with the body of Jesus outside of the tomb and he was alive. And he told her, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Christ is never in the midst of your dead situation. Only for the purpose to bring life. In that way he would be. But he's not death and he will lead you into life. I was thinking about Abraham as well. Who did he encounter in the book of Romans 4 and 5, the story of Abraham that he stood before God? Who did he encounter? Before we, I may as well go to Father Abraham. Romans 4, 17. As it is written, I have made your father of many nations here. In the presence of him, in the presence of him whom he believed, God. In the presence of God whom Abraham believed. God who gives life to the dead. He saw the living Christ. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. 
who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. Again, became, he bore the witness of God. To the nations, he bore the witness of God. He bore the seed, the seed of Christ to the nations. There's always dissemination. There is always a proclamation. When we stand before the living Christ, it always moves us into proclamation. It always moves us into hope and demonstration of the glory of God. But Abraham saw the living Christ, the one who raises the dead back to life. So here, Jesus was raised back to life. And there's two disciples that are walking. Where do I start the story? This is the story, uh, the road to Emmaus, 24, 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus. You know what Emmaus means? Hot springs. Another well. They were on the way to the well. Hot springs. A living well. He's a living Christ. Two disciples were walking to this village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. The things that happened that Mary said she saw the Lord Jesus Christ alive. And yet they knew he hanged on the cross and died. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near. He drew near to them. As they were drawing near to Emmaus, as they were drawing near to their destination, who drew near? Jesus drew near. And that's how it is. It's when we are journeying on the road of life and we are moving towards the destination, God starts drawing near to us. With a message of hope, with a message of life, with a message of understanding, a message of clarity. Oh, I love God. I love God. Right as they were talking, they conversed and they reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. (laughs) But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. I used to think before, I wouldn't have time to do this message, but next message will be on, on this topic of the eyes restrained. I used to think God restrained their eyes. It wasn't God restraining their eyes. You know why it wasn't God? Because in verse 25, Jesus himself says, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. That's what restrained their sight. Slow of heart to believe. A dullness of heart to believe. But we do a good message on it. It wouldn't be a condemning message, it would be a good message. How to undull the eyes. <laughs> In Christ, they are undoubted. Glory to God. The living Christ. We have sight in the living Christ. Their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is that you are, that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And I thought, this is neat. This is so neat. Here is the glorious resurrector. He is God, the resurrector. Because we know that he's, Jesus is the very express image of God. And we just read about Father Abraham standing in the presence of God who raises the dead back to life. 
and calls those things that be not as though they are. So here they, we have two of his key disciples walking on the road and chatting with one another. So what do you think? Let's reason about it. Let's think deeply on the matter and let's get really sad about it because it's a sad story. Here comes life, the living Christ. This is what are you talking about? What are you talking about? This is what are you talking about? I've never seen this story this way. It's almost like, let me unburden those two guys because they're going deep into sorrow and they should be rejoicing. That's the mercy of God. That's what he did with the woman, with the Samaritan woman. Her heart was heavy. Her heart was heavy. How many five husbands did she have? And the one she was with was not her husband. Her heart was heavy. Going to fetch water in the noon hour. Heat of the day in the Middle East. Carrying her pot. To draw water. It's hard work to draw water from a well. Deep well. It's Jacob's well. It's a deep well. Here he comes to unburden her. And to give her a drink. Here he comes and burn them from their, from their carnal communication and sad hearts. Then the one whose name was Clopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger? And he says, they're dull of hearing. They're dull of hearing. So they're not recognizing it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in the framework of their mindset, there's pretty narrow. And very analytical. They're saying, who are you? You don't know anything. Haven't you heard the stories? Haven't you heard the buzz of the day? Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? God's not concerned. What things? Are you flustered over? Why are you so concerned over Nothing. I am the living Christ. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I am the living water. Partake of me. Chit-chatting, chit-chatting, always chit-chatting, always. Uh, what do you think God looks like? Oh, is God real? Oh, uh, what do you think? Uh, he, when he says, come to me, come to me. I'm right here. Come to me. Come to me. And they said to him, they're going to enlighten him now, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Here's the living Christ. They're calling him Jesus of Nazareth. He is Jesus of Nazareth. Of course he is. But he's the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords. And they're, they're talking of him as they would have been familiar with him. Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And now... The chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping that he was going to be the rebel leader, that he was going to be the upheaval mover. We were hoping that he is going to be the one who going to set us free from the Roman bondage. We were hoping that we, he was going to make us bear arms in the natural and just go slay some wicked people. We were hoping that by the natural means we are going to conquer something big. We were hoping... He's going to do it our way. But fizzled out because it wasn't living hope. It wasn't living hope. 
wasn't based on truth divine of being resurrected from the dead and coming into newness of life. And through this new birth, now we have overcome all. Through this new birth, now we've become children of God because we're now children, we're heirs. We have a divine life that has overcome the lower life. And it says, but yes, verse 22, a certain woman of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. She shocked us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Could this be? And certain, and, and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Him they did not see. And then he, Jesus, that's when Jesus speaks to them and says, Oh foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. I don't want ever that to be said of me. To, for me to read the word daily and Jesus to come to me, oh, you slow of heart, not believing what you're reading. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And there he starts. From the beginning of Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He will tell you of himself. He will tell you who he is. He will tell you what his word means. I mean, this was only seven miles, this village. And he, he spoke of the entire Old Testament. He's in every verse of the Old Testament. Supernatural utterance. Supernatural utterance. And here again, they drew near to the village. They were coming real close now. They were coming just like he drew near, just like Paul was drawing near to Damascus, coming to the end of their destination. And they were going and they, he was going to go on his way, but they apprehend him. He says, no, come, come abide with us. Come stay with us. We'll find later on why they kept him because as he was speaking, their hearts were burning. We don't want to let him go. Keep speaking. That's who he is. I don't want to let him go. He keeps speaking. I keep saying, keep speaking to me, Lord. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took, this is it, this is the most powerful phrase here. He took bread, blessed it, and broke it. That's exactly what he had just done. He is the bread of life whom the Father sent, came from heaven, and his flesh was broken. Blessed by the Father was the blessed flesh, knew no sin, knew no sin, blessed, fle blessed flesh was broken for all humanity. So we receive sight. So we receive a new hearing. So we receive a brand new life. He took the bread, blessed, broke it, and gave it to them. Take and eat, for this is my body. Take and drink, for this is my blood. Talks about the communion cup. For my flesh is bread and my blood is drink. Oh, partakers of divine nature. And at that moment is when their eyes were opened and they knew him. It's only in the communion do you know him. It's only in the fellowship of him do you know him. It's only in your walk with him do you hear him. It's always in the proximity of him do you understand him. And at that moment, when their eyes were opened, he vanished from their sight because thereafter they did not need the physical, tangible Jesus. Thereafter their hearts knew he, like, who he was.
and their eyes saw him. And when your spiritual eyes see him, you don't need a natural presence. You know. You know. You know what he looks like right here. You know what he sounds like right here. You know how he feels like right here. You know how he smells right here. The very fragrance of love. The aroma of life. Look what they said right after that. They said to one another, isn't it amazing? They didn't pine for him no more. Didn't pine for him no more. They were pining for him because their physical eyes couldn't see him. On the road, what were they saying? They were sad. Why? Because they couldn't see Jesus anymore. Now he was. Their eyes saw him in the spirit. When their eyes were open, their spiritual sight was open, and they could now see who he is. He is the living Christ. They didn't need a natural experience anymore. So when he vanished, they weren't crying again. Now their reasoning was higher. Now they look, our hearts were quicker. Now they begin to recognize what it feels like to walk with Jesus. What it feels like to walk with Jesus when your heart is validating this is truth. When your heart is validating, it's bearing witness of the truth of the word of God. They said to one, I did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road. On the road, that, that word road is again the way, the journey. And while he opened the scriptures to us, so they rose that hour and they went to the 11 disciples saying, look, look, saying what? The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told, they, but they didn't believe the, the women's words. They believed the living Christ's words. And they told about the things that happened on the road. And look, look what they say after that. And how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And this is how he's known to us in the sacrifice of his body. That's how we know him. He's the lamb that was slain for us. A blameless lamb was offered up for us. Jesus is his name. So we might have life. So we might have a new sight. So we might have a new hearing. So we might have a brand new understanding of the things that someone told us about Jesus. But when we come in this living encounter with the living Christ, we come into life and we forsake all. And suddenly we don't need the tangible, palpable, I can touch it, I can feel it. I don't need that anymore. I'm led by faith now. I believe. Because my heart is fully persuaded that he is the one, that he is the living Christ, and only the living Christ has life. Glory be to God. Amen. Thank you.